All right. Today we have our third sermon in our American Gods series, where you'll remember we are arming you to fight the philosophies of the world. I think maybe Jake is smiling at how amazing our graphic is. But what's that? I love it. Yeah. It's Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so we want to help you stand against the elementary principles of the world. And we've talked about Marxism. Uh, Pastor Ben talked about Mormonism last time. And today we have a very Christmassy American gods subject which is a third M. Maybe we're only talking about philosophies that start with M. But today we're talking about materialism. Materialism, the doctrine that the only thing that exists is the material world. That's what, that's like the technical definition. But we're not going to really do an intellectual sermon on technical definitions today, even though I am wearing my my Harvard sweater, Harvard Debate Club sweater. we are going to talk about the heart. Because most people, when they think of materialism, they don't think of a philosophy. They just think of being materialistic, right? Loving the material world and things connected to the material world, physical desires, whether that's sex, food, money, possessions, whatever, more than you love the spiritual, or the emotional, or the mental. When we talk about the material world, that's, that's, that's what we mean. Anything that has to do with the body, right? It's not just like stuff, but it is largely stuff. So that's what we're talking about today. Is everybody with me so far? Okay. So maybe the American God that we in this room would all be willing to say that we're most sort of given to, that we, we would all kind of admit, yeah, I'm not a Marxist. I'm definitely not a Mormon, last I checked. But I can be a little materialistic. I like things. I like stuff. I like, you know, I live in America. I live in a prosperous first world country. Of course, one way or another, there's probably some stuff that I have or some stuff that I want or a physical pleasure that I seek out, that maybe people across time in different countries, in third world countries, maybe they wouldn't all struggle with this. But we all would, I think, admit on some level that we, we struggle with materialism, right? Even, even the best of us probably could think of a way that you're tempted to be materialistic. Even non-Christians, even pagans will admit that they are materialistic, and that it's bad to be materialistic. A lot of the Christmas programs and Christmas specials and Christmas movies and stuff that you'll find yourself watching this season are going to be about how bad it is to be materialistic. And then those same programs will be interrupted by an advertisement about how Verizon is having a sale on their latest iPhone plan or whatever. So we're going to have all these messages screaming at us for the next, well, for for all the time, but especially for the next four weeks, whatever it is, especially for this Advent season. And and we all feel tension 
about living as, like every one of us is a spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical being, and yet here we are in a world that feels pretty darn physical, and a world of money and food and stuff and clothes and physical pleasures, and we have to figure out how to navigate that, how to be spiritual, how to be emotional, how to, how to be human in a world of the physical, in a world where the physical feels more real a lot of the time. And our relationship to the material world, I guess my point, the point of all of this is our relationship to the material world is just really complicated. Our, our relationship to the material world is complicated. I'll say it a third time. Our relationship to the world, the, the material world, is complicated, especially this time of year, right? We have all the advertisements. Like I said, I, I looked up what's in this year. Uh, this year, you need an iPhone 14 Plus. This is what they're selling you. You need an Apple Watch Ultra. Your kid is going to need a Peppa Pig Tony Box starter set. Or, or maybe you're more of a Melissa and Doug person, in which case you'll need a Melissa and Doug Fun at the Fair Game Center play, play tent. I hope you all got that. If you want your kids to have a Merry Christmas, if you want the dad in your life to have a Merry Christmas, the grandpa, he's going to need a Weber Smokefire EPX6 Wood-Fried Pellet Grill Stealth Edition. Your teenage boy needs God of War Ragnarok for the PlayStation 5. If he does not have a PlayStation 5, he needs a PlayStation 5. Your teenage girl needs jeans, specifically what's in this year, acid-washed, loose jeans, mom jeans, ripped jeans, high-waisted jeans, bleached jeans. Basically, her jeans have to look like they went through some horrible accident. And that horrible accident is 90s fashion. So they're selling us stuff, right? Grandma and grandpa are going to buy too much stuff for the kids. And then you're going to have to wonder, like, did they make the kids greedy and unspiritual? Our relationship to the material world this time of year is complicated. I mean, like I said, corporate America selling you the idea. You'll see these advertisements, like I said, where it's like a commercial and, and it's about something greater than material possessions. It's a family and they're all gathered around the table and then they're together and there's lights and it's warm and it's happy and that's what Christmas is all about. Add, drink Coke. Everyone's drinking Coke. Buy Coke because it'll give you more of the emotional Christmas spiritual feeling. Then the cringe thought of something he hadn't thought of before. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And then we go straight to a Verizon commercial. I mean, isn't it, isn't it crazy just to live in a world where those things are both being shouted at you all the time? And the thing is, they're not totally wrong. There is a connection between the physical and the spiritual world and the emotional world and the mental world, right? If you get little Rufus, his Peppa Pig, uh, Tony Box starter set, that could be a very sweet moment of connection between grandma and Rufus. And it, it, it can actually do some things that aren't just about the physical desire, the materialistic desire of Rufus for Peppa Pig, right? So... It's just, it's just complicated to navigate this material world. Uh, even beyond Christmas time, our relationship to the material world is complicated, right? I mean, we need money. Anybody here not need money? Every, uh, oh, I thought you were raising your hand, but you were scratching your nose. Um, 
anybody worried about their end of the year Christmas bonus? Am I going to get it? How big is it? Is the company going to, oh, inflation, whatever? Uh, it's complicated because we have bodies. Anybody worried about how much they ate this past Thanksgiving and what that's going to mean? And can I get back in the gym? Am I going to be healthy? And of course, I want to be healthy so I can serve God, so I can love people, so I can live longer and love more people, right? But also, I want to look good and I want to be attractive. And is it vanity? Is it good? Is it, uh, I, I don't know, the physical and spiritual are bound together. It's, our relationship to the material world is complicated because we wear clothing. I will tell a story on myself. I used to wear really slobby, shabby clothing. And the reason I did that is because I was a lazy, slobby teenage bum. But I had a very spiritual reason, and I said this. I told this, if anyone asked, which, you know, every couple of years somebody would, I would say, you know, people need to judge the heart. They need to see past my clothing. They need to see the real me. And I am helping them see the real me by dressing the, the, the material me. As, as garbage. And then one day, in my 20s, late 20s, I realized that it would actually be more godly to dress in a way that was hospitable and invited people to want to look at me. And I asked Jacob Menzel for some fashion advice. And the first words out of his mouth were, oh, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> and then he said, burn that shirt. So it's complicated, right? It's complicated. I really want to drive this point home. I'm sorry I'm landing here for a while, but it's complicated, our relationship with the material world. Because, you know, I started dressing better, and, uh, you know, and then I liked dressing better. And was there some vanity in that? I don't know. I mean, I'm wearing my Harvard uh, shirt. I look good. Um, our relationship with the material world is complicated. Women, have you ever noticed who brings what to Women's Night? I know all of you are way too spiritual for, for this. But, uh, like, if, if, if you bring something nice, it's because you love people and you care enough to bring something nice. If she brings something nice, it's because she's vain and wants to show off her cooking skills or her money or whatever. If she brings something lame, it's because she's humble. If she brings something lame, it's because she's apathetic and being passive-aggressive toward it doesn't even want to be there, right? We score people based on material things. We score each other. We score each other's spirituality based on what we see in the material world. Our relationship to the material world is just really complicated. As Christians, it's especially complicated. We think of verses like 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or Matthew 6, 19 to 21 from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We think of verses like that and all the other verses about suffering, about taking up your cross, about not loving the things of this world. And we see how much in our hearts we're tempted to be vain, to be greedy, to be gluttonous, to be sexually debauched, whatever. We see our own materialistic little hearts, and we feel bad 
right? I remember on Christmas morning, one of the things that's made me really neurotic about Christmas is that at, you know, every Christmas morning growing up, the kids would wake up at 5 a.m., and then parents would roll out of bed at 7.30, you know, that whole thing. And then we would eat breakfast instead of opening our presents. And, there, and, and, and my parents would always do a devotion. And what I came to realize is my dad felt bad about gifts. He felt all this pressure and the pressure of not being materialistic. And so the way that he sort of made that work is we had a really long devotion. And it was a very serious devotion. And we were all just thinking, presents, presents, let us get to the stupid presents, please. But it was like we had to pay our toll, our spiritual toll, before we could go and have the fun that we wanted to have, right? And so now I'm always tempted to go do the opposite. Like, ah, we're not going to do Advent, whatever. Let's just have fun. It's Christmas. Wee! I, I'm not too serious, you know? I, I suspect there are probably different kinds of people in this room when it comes to material things. There are some of us who are like that. So they have a, a sneaking suspicion that there's something bad about anything that's purely physical or material or worldly, that's an enjoyment. Like, that's actually bad. Everything that I do has to have some spiritual meaning, some, some greater meaning. It should be about God. It should be about my neighbor. If I ever just enjoy apple pie, just for myself, if I just, if Thanksgiving was just like, this turkey is delicious, I like this turkey, then that wasn't godly. I've got to find a way to make it about other people, to make it about God, right? I mean, we think about the verses that talk about self-denial and suffering and killing the flesh, and we feel those sort of, that sort of person feels a little threatened by those verses. You think things like, where is my suffering? Am I just a materialist? Am I living like a materialist, even though I say I'm a Christian? And then there's probably people in this room, I think there's people in this room who feel very little tension about this. And maybe they should feel a little bit more. Because they try not to think about verses like 1 John 2.15 or the Sermon on the Mount. They, they hand wave them away. And there are some people who are just selfish, who are just gluttons, who are just sexually debauched, who are just drunkards, who just love the things of this world in a wicked way. And people like that, you know, they, they, they figure out ways to sort of make their peace with it. They, they, there's always a million reasons for doing exactly what you want, right? So they, they, they say things like, I'm building a better future for my kids by having lots of money. I'm, yeah, we don't, I don't have to keep talking about this, right? There's just, there's just a million excuses we make. I'm uh, to pursue our own flesh. I give a lot to charity. I give to Church of the King. I, uh, you know. So, so those are the complications. Our relationship with the material world is complicated. And I want to talk today, not, not about like the philosophical history of materialism or anything like that, because it's very simple. There's always been people who have loved the material world more than the things of God. That's always existed. It's always been something that Christians have had to contend with out there and in our own hearts. But, but I, I want to talk about how we contend with that. So I want to answer three questions today in our remaining time. Number one, does God want us to enjoy the material world? I just want to answer that question point blank. Number two, are there worldly desires we should hold back from? That's a tricky one. Uh, number three, I want to talk about how Christmas 
because this is, this is not technically part of our Advent series, but this is a Christmas sermon. How Christmas is good news for both of those other two questions, all right? So, so first, let's just answer the question, does God want us to enjoy the material world? And let's look at the Bible. So Genesis 1, remember, God makes the world. He makes a bunch of stuff. And what does he say after he makes each category of thing? It is good. He declares it good. He calls it all good. He's like, yes, this is great. I made this. It's good. Then the fall happens. Sin happens. Judgment happens. The world is corrupted. Things become bad. But does that mean that there's nothing good in the physical world. Well, if we look at some other Bible verses like Psalm 104, you see things like this. Psalmist is speaking to God. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So the psalmist, in talking in the middle of a sinful world, says... God, one of the things that's so great about you is you make material things for us to enjoy. Food, wine, things to gladden the heart of man, right? Now here's one that we've been over before a couple summers ago in Proverbs, Proverbs 5, talking about sexuality. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So that's just about sex. And it's not like, I suggest it would be good probably if you, if you gave yourself to, to sex with your spouse. No, it's like, I command you, kid. This is what you need to do. Solomon talking to his son, right? You need to love your wife physically. So that's the Old Testament. Let's look at one from the New Testament. This is from 1 Timothy 4. The Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says this, beginning in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So God said that the world was good. He made things good. Yes, there's corruption, there's sin, there's bad things in the world. But to say that we should not enjoy the good blessings that God has given us in this world is something that Paul here calls a doctrine of demons. Now, why a doctrine of demons? Well, because there's only one way to God, and that is through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And, if, and Satan, though, will happily substitute anything else. He'll make us believe Ah, if I just don't get married, if I just don't enjoy things, if I just whip myself, if I just abstain, I'll get to heaven. And that's a really neat trick that Satan gets a big kick out of. Because it's one thing to trick us into having pleasure now and then going, into, going to hell. But what Satan really likes is for us to be miserable now and then go to hell. 
Satan really doesn't give up. You know, people always talk about, he gives us false pleasures. You know, it's the worm on the hook. They're not that much of a worm on the hook a lot of the times. Worms are gross. Anyway, it, it's, if Satan is a snake oil sale, salesman, then the snake oil, not only does it not cure your disease, it tastes gross when you drink it, right? And so there's people that'll say, abstain, be miserable. This is the way to God. And that's the doctrine of demons. That's a way to beat yourself up, be miserable, and then still go to hell. So the answer to the question is God does want us to enjoy the physical world. So don't be a spoil sport this Christmas. When you give your kids presents, don't let there be like, and I know not everybody does this, but don't let there be any kind of neurotic kind of undertone of, well, we have to do it, but obviously we feel bad about indulging in this materialistic holiday. It's better to give than receive. No, it's actually pretty good to receive. It's good to get good gifts. God gives us good gifts, and we're supposed to be thankful, right? It's good to just eat turkey and enjoy it. I mean, turkey, that's, that's a way of speaking. Uh, it's, it's good to be thankful for them. We are to receive with thanksgiving, like he said in 1 Timothy, but it's not thanksgiving like, well, I'm enjoying this guilty pleasure, so here's the payment of thanksgiving. It's like, no, we really got good stuff. God loves to give us good stuff, and so we're thankful for it. So, so let's not raise neurotic kids. Let's not make them feel like Brussels sprouts are holy and Pringles are evil and presents are bad and church is better. No, it's all good. It's all good. So can we enjoy the physical world? Yes. Is it a virtue to dress poorly, have a dirty house, not feed your kids good food, have an unhealthy body? No. Pretty much most of the time it's apathy, it's laziness, disguised as some sort of fake virtue. But that brings us to point number two, which I'm very much afraid is the equal and opposite point. <clears throat> Are there worldly desires we should hold back from? Well, yes. Philippians 3, 17 through 20 says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the equal and opposite truth in the Scripture. We are called to be holy, not because that's what saves us, but because that's our response to what saves us. Jesus Christ has saved us. He's made us sons of God. And our response is to want to be a holy, to want to obey, to want to not put anything above Jesus. And of course, in this physical world where what we can see, what we can feel, what we can touch is so prominent in our senses, a lot of times we're going to be tempted to make other things, physical things, our gods instead of Jesus. And there will be people, maybe people in this room this holiday season who do exactly that, who eat way too much in, in a way that is seeking spiritual and emotional comfort from food. People that get drunk, people who find themselves with too much time on their hands and nobody's watching and they look at pornography or spend a week of just dissipation, just watching TV like a slug, not having anything going on in your mind or your spirit, just, just being dissipated. 
There are uh, moms who will just fret about getting all the material things perfect so they can have that Pinterest Christmas, I don't know if that's still the app, a Pinterest Christmas, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok Christmas, whatever it is. There will be all of that, and we can't do that. We have to put Jesus first. We may not be ruled by our appetites. We cannot give ourselves to earthly things in a bad way. And that is kind of a frustrating place for this sermon to go, right? Because, like if this was a health seminar, uh, first I said, you know, we all feel a lot of tension about eating cake. And then I said, actually, we can't eat cake. And then I said, but don't eat cake a bad way. And it's like, okay, how do I put all those together? Well, how do you put all those things together? And there's two things in the Bible, right? God made the world. He gave us and gives us many good things. We're supposed to enjoy them. We're mandated to enjoy them. We must enjoy them. And worldly, sinful indulgence is bad. It's wicked. It's evil. And okay, we know what constitutes like really bad worldly indulgence, fornication, sloppy drunkenness. You know, we can imagine stuff that we all would just say, well, that crosses the line into sin. But the, the, the tension that I think we all feel about this subject is it's like, you know, I'm probably, Lord willing, not going to do any of that stuff, at least for the most part. But, but where's the line between the things that I enjoy? Like, when, is, when am I actually eating too much and making a God of my belly? And when do presents actually become uh, something that's just drawing us away from the, the reason for the season and, and making us worldly in a bad way? And how do I figure that out? And people will say things like, well, as long as you're putting Jesus first, that's the difference. You put Jesus first, it's good. You put Jesus not first, it's bad. And that's helpful. That's helpful. But again, like, how do you know if that's what you're doing and, and when that's what you're doing? I mean, I, I, I started smoking. Here's a story. I started smoking to witness, to be a good witness. This was like... I don't know, 20 years ago now, almost. But I was at a blue-collar job, and I did not know how to relate to the people, and there was one thing that they all did, which was a smoke break, and you couldn't really go out if you didn't have a cigarette. And so I was like, okay, I want to talk to these people. I want to talk to them about Jesus. So I got some cigarettes. And then I got addicted to cigarettes for like 10 years, like an idiot. And um, sorry to anybody who smokes. It's not a big deal. But the point is, was there rebellion? Was there pride? Was there, was there sin in me wanting to smoke? Yeah. Was there also actually a desire, as, as ridiculous, as silly as it kind of sounds, to love people through smoking? Yeah. So the line between sinful indulgence and godly enjoyment just often feels really unclear. We can understand big picture that we need to put Jesus first, but also enjoy earthly things, but which one's which? And am, I enjoy, am I enjoying blank in a way that is sinful or in a way that glorifies God? How can I tell? Now this, by the way, is why people fall into those two ditches of gluttony over here and, and self-denial in a bad way over here. It's actually two sides of the same coin, right? It's, in both cases, people don't want to live by faith. They don't want to exercise discernment. And so they're like, well, I'll just give myself over or I'll just not even enjoy the good things that God's given me, because to even go there freaks me out, right? 
So here's the good news. The good news is my third point, which is the good news is Christmas, actually. Jesus came in the flesh. He was born in a manger. The second person in the Trinity became a man and is a man to this day. Jesus, in his resurrected body, ascended into heaven. He is still both man and both God right now. And how does that bear on our discussion? Well, I think it, for one thing, it, it, it turns down the temperature in at least two ways I can think of. I mean, number one, Jesus took on flesh, and that really does, really, if you had any doubt, dignify the material world. God said, the material things I made are really good. Being a man, being a creature made out of spirit and body, everything that means has great dignity. Our Lord and Savior did it, which is great. So chill out. Really, God does do good things in this sinful world with material things. And your enjoyment of that turkey last Thursday, you're hanging Christmas lights, you're feasting, you're celebrating. That can all be very good, even in a sinful, corrupt world. And the other reason that Jesus' coming turns down the temperature on this whole discussion is because Jesus was Jesus. Jesus did all the Jesus things. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died. He appeased the wrath of God, and he rose again. Jesus made it possible for us to be in fellowship with God, for us to live holy lives. And he sent the Holy Spirit to help us obey God, to help us put off the things of the flesh, put on the things of God, which means we get to approach this whole complicated dilemma, not like a neurotic pagan trying to just figure out, well, how can I feel some meaning from the season, but also have everything that I ever wanted? And how can I teach my kids? We, we get to approach this whole complicated subject as sons of God. It was well over a decade now. I remember having a, my first fight with one Jake Menzel, and we were not friends at this time. We did not like each other. There's a whole wonderful epic history to me and Jake's relationship that you can hear about if you want. But Jake was a young college pastor, and I was just some dude of college-ish age who went to a uh, Bible study on Saturday night at Jake's house. Except for I thought it was going to be a game night. And it turned out to be a Bible study. And I was like, well, Saturday night, that's kind of a lame. Wouldn't it be better? I mean, I was bringing some of the same baggage I've already talked to to this. I was like, you know, that should have been fun. It would have been better, more godly for that to be fun. I'm going to be helpful to Jake. I'm going to talk to Jake. So uh, I waited until everybody left. And I was like, hey, Jake, uh, don't you think it would be better if that was fun? And... And Jake doesn't know me, he just knows I'm some dude. And, and, and Jake's like, uh, no. <laughs> like, you don't know. You're, you, you, where were you at our meeting where we decided to do this as, as, as a pastoral staff? You don't know the different pressures that are going into this. You don't know the different people, the different personalities in the group. You don't know what we're doing, right? And so we had this pretty tense exchange, which I don't like to remember. My only point in telling that story, because that story ended badly, and then year, years later, I think, we became friends, and then we started working together. And now we've worked together for going on 10 years, and we are very good friends, and, and, and we're more like family. And, and guess what? 
if I was to go to Jake with a concern like that now, or Jake was to come to me and want to have a conversation like that now, would the conversation be as intense and stupid as it was? No. There would be mutual friendship, mutual trust, mutual love. It would be a very chillaxed conversation, right? And so that's a tiny picture of our relationship with God, right? When you work out your salvation with God, you're figuring out how to enjoy the things of the world, you're doing these complicated stuff, you're trying to be discerning, you're doing it with your dad who loves you, who's rooting for you, who knows how weak you are. That's another benefit of Jesus coming in the flesh. He has been like us. He knows, he knows our weakness. He knows our temptations, right? He gets it. So we are not working this out in a neurotic way with a God who's always angry and always waiting to swat us down. We're working this out with our Father. So to sum it up, we need to enjoy the good things God put in the world. We need to be self-controlled and not sinful. And the completed work of Jesus Christ empowers us to do both, even though it can be complicated to navigate and takes real faith and discernment, and there's no magic formula. With that being said, here's a couple of magic formulas. I've got four quick practical ideas for navigating your relationship to the material world this holiday season and in general, and I'll give them to you and then we'll, we'll be done. So, number one, pray for wisdom. God promises to give wisdom to those who ask without doubting. James 1, God promises to do that. This is a complicated subject. It's hard to know your own heart sometimes. I, I always, if you see the prayer requests, I always write God's provision. One of the reasons I write that is because we want a bigger house. We want a bigger house so that my mom can move in with us. But also, it'd be cool to have a bigger house. You know, I, I don't know. There's sin in there, probably. These things are hard to sort out. So pray. Ask God to help you know your hearts, to help you know the hearts of your family members. Pray for discernment. This is a discernment issue. It's, it's complicated. We can't just make these snap judgments. Be grateful. This is number two. Be grateful for the material blessings that you give. Back in 1 Timothy 4, you remember Paul said, we're to receive everything with thanksgiving, with gratefulness. Anytime a subject, a personal holiness subject feels murky and you can't quite decide and you don't know how to navigate it, start by doing the things that you know you're supposed to do, the things that are obvious that you should do. And a lot of times that'll actually help clarify what else you're supposed to do. Like, like ooh, okay, I don't know, is five presents indulgent, but four is God. Well, you know what, God, I'm so thankful that that's a dilemma I can have. I'm thankful for this. And as you thank, as you talk to God, as you thank him, I think it will help clarify some of this stuff. So pray to God. Let's, 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 let's be thankful. Let's have gratitude for all the Wonderful things. There's not a person in this room who isn't so, so blessed. Number three, this holiday season. Let's be proactive about putting Jesus first. Let's think about ways that we can joyfully, whether it's an advent calendar, whether it's prayer and devotion, I don't know. Let's think about ways that we can honor our Lord and Savior and, and, and not just enjoy food and and presence. Let's, let's, let's think about it. Let's think about it. Be proactive. Uh, number four, actually, is kind of the flip side of that coin. Be proactive in your enjoyments. 
If you just let your enjoyments happen with no thought, you have a much higher chance of just sort of sliding into dissipation and into sin and into badness, right? And it's not that you have to be uh, hyper-OCD about planning, you know, at 5.43, we're going to eat turkey. At 5.08, we'll finish chewing the turkey. You don't have to do that. Just have a general idea. Mom and dad talk to each other and say, hey, this holiday season, this Christmas vacation week, this December the 25th, here's our plan. This is how we're going to make it fun for everybody. These are some of the things that the older kids will enjoy. These are some of the things that the younger kids will enjoy. Hey, when are we going to put aside some time for mommy and daddy? Uh, This is what we want to happen that will make it feel relaxing, that will make it feel God-glorifying, that will make it, in fact, God-glorifying. Talk about it with your wife, with your husband beforehand. Just have a, a sort of general game plan. Build in a nap, you know? Doing those things can really help you really enjoy and be on the same page and communicate about how you're going to enjoy and therefore actually enjoy your holiday season. And it can really help you avoid sin, not in like a, oh, there's sin over there, we're going to not, but just like a little bit of structure goes a long way in helping us, helping our lives glorify God. So those are my ideas. Have a Merry Christmas season. Let me pray for us. Dear Father, I do pray that you would help us, give us discernment, give us wisdom, and help us to hate what is fleshly and evil, but love the many, many blessings that you've given us. Thank you for all the many, many blessings that you've given us this holiday season. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for him taking on human flesh. And thank you for everything that that means. Thank you for your mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen.